Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Alan Averill and this is Agitators Anonymous. I'm not going to say which episode it is because I'm not entirely sure. This could be 19, could be 20, could be 21, could be 1937, could be 1964, could be 2023. Who knows? Well, I thought what I would do is make this episode a little bit unconventional um, and read a column I wrote a couple of years ago, um, maybe two or three years ago, which dealt with depression. Um, and then take a look at some of the meanings of some of the things that I was uh, feeling when I was writing that, but also because I'm getting a lot of messages from people who are having a very difficult time with their mental state with dealing with what's happening with trying to make sense of what's happening and this includes me um, and I think it's probably something we're not talking about enough at least definitely in terms of trying to understand I mean of course there are people who are going to expect me to now say in the music industry how we're dealing with this that and the other and there is an element of you know, tighten your belt, tough, stiff upper lip about this, which sometimes I subscribe to, but an element of, you know, you had it so good with your messing and your carrying on and your rambling around the world for years that this is just your kind of, this is the grand leveler. This is getting back to what life is really about. And that's a bit of struggle and hardship and all that kind of stuff, which look, I mean, playing music, 
being involved in the music industry or the entertainment industry, whatever you want to call it, is not the same as working in a field in 1952. I would accept that. Um, but all things are relative. And I think that very often we get blindsided by what we perceive are... Um, we fail to comprehend sometimes the mental or existential crisis that having no purpose or having no definite sense of being gives to people, regardless of what their work is or what their sense of achievement, what their sense of self-worth is, that doesn't really matter, at least to me in the context of this discussion, this argument. It doesn't really matter um, what those things are. One can easily point and say, well, of course, your ancestors worked harder than you, which could be possible. But then again, my further ancestors were also hunter-gatherers, so I don't know what do people want. I understand the context. However, lately I thought I would do an update on... An update on mental health sounds a little bit strange and a little bit of an odd way to approach it, but after the discussion with Addy about mental health, I got a lot of DMs, a lot of people messaging me, a lot of people saying thanks for talking about all this kind of stuff because they're finding it very hard to find some purchase, some context for all of this. And it is true that as the weeks go by and into months, unfortunately, my pessimism when all of this began has mostly been proved right. And it takes, it gives me no joy to say that. Well, I mean, little does at the moment, but we'll get into that. But there is, um, it gives me little of the I told you so's to say, yeah, well, this is kind of what I thought would happen as the months go by and the restrictions grow, move back and forwards, grow tighter in some countries compared to others. In Ireland, we've stepped backwards to about where we were a month or two ago. There's curfews at 11. Um, there still is no real way of socializing, of doing all the things that people did before. Um, and I sense that there's a very great fatigue in the city, and I'm sure it's the same in your city. And part of this is exacerbated by two months of awful weather. Right now, it's dark and gloomy and raining and about 11 degrees and it's been like this for a lot of summers over the last couple of years when we've had the odd good one and there's people who will always say asher look it's ireland and where does more irish than complaining about not having any weather there is little more cliched and dull and boring than falling into that rather typical irish trope of complaining about there being nothing to really complain about because we don't really have um excesses when it comes to those things. But at the same time, it really does make a huge big difference to your mental state. And that's what I'm going to start to get into now a bit. And that is vitamin D and a bit of sunshine works wonders. You know, there ain't no suicide stats for Costa Rica, as the man says, but stand them up to Belarus and you got something to examine. Um, and this is the truth. And that is that... Um, an awful lot of people complaining about a heat wave and this and that and the other. But believe me, the opposite is far, far more depressing. Um, everyday, grey, rainy, overcast. But for those of you who don't really know what depression feels like, um, it's like a weight. 
an incredible weight on your shoulders. It's almost forcing you down in the bed in the morning where you just feel there's no purpose or point to getting up. You have no motivation. You have no, no understanding of purpose. And that's been incredibly, incredibly compounded. Incredibly compounded? That's not great English, is it? It's been amplified by this situation because so many people are out of work, have lost their jobs, and particularly if you're creative. And as I said, this is what I speak to because this is what I am. And so whatever you may be thinking about in your particular realm of existence that's okay and relevant to you but for people who are used to have being able to have a creative outlet um, these are very very hard times I mean I can't deny that the constant posting of images from festivals and gigs over the last couple of years in the summer with loads of frowning emojis on them from people uh, discussing how much they miss not having a summer festival season or gigs or whatever else and I think it's just that the human process the human interaction the human factor involved in all of this that has been so removed and maybe it's compounded for us because we're on an island and I think that the geographically it's been quite difficult I know some people judging by their messages are able to get in a car and drive from Austria to Germany or drive to the Alps and maybe there is you know you have your summer holiday cabin but this is not a very particular Irish thing this is not something we really have, holiday homes. And you are really, you do really feel stuck on the island. Um, and this may be something that people in other countries are able to rectify, as I said, by getting in a car and just let's go. Let's go to Poland. Let's go to, I mean, look, if you really want to, you could probably drive from Germany to Albania. But however, um, how we deal with this feeling of isolation uh, fundamentally is, is really complex. And it's quite an existential thing, I think, because what you're talking about is the lack of purpose, the lack of um, any sense of achievement, of, I suppose, your self-worth. Well, I don't suppose I know your self-worth and identity is wrapped up in that. And how we deal with this diminished sense of agency in the world, that's the most problematic thing that I find, is that it runs contrary to human nature to be, at least for me, I like to set goals and focus on things. Every three months, I must do this, this, this. Something new creative, some song to have worked with with somebody else, focusing on a new album, focusing on something creative. And it has, there has to be a new tour that's coming in the process, nine months, a new thing. There always has to be something to focus on. Now, maybe that's because um, I never usually, maybe haven't worked the same nine to five jobs. And I'm sure there are people for whom this last couple of months initially was great. They got a paid extra leave from a job they disliked. And if that's you, that's fine. But it must be dragging on a bit now, right? I mean, the argument for universal basic income, just to diverge from the course for a moment, but the argument for universal basic income, I think, to me, always seemed flawed. Now, partially because, par partially because an element of me thinks that it will be linked to your... Um, biometric passport and your if all of your money is linked through a couple of different um, financial platforms and and 
serviced by the state, then that can easily be cut off um, for non-conformity to certain parameters. But that's a whole different conversation. But at the same time, what I mean by universal basic income is that I think that we're seeing now how frayed people become if they don't have a purpose. Now, okay, that doesn't that isn't the um, that isn't the endorsement for the hyper capitalist ethic of <laughs> taking advantage of workers or anything like this. And that's a whole other um, story to get into. But what it is, is that people need a structure, a purpose and a definition for their day. And without that, they list, they drift, they drift from the shore. And I feel this profoundly lately as the months go by and there's no end in sight when you have no line that you can approach to go. If I knew on March the 1st, this will change. That's the date that we have a vaccine or that's the date where um, things reopen. Then you can hunker down. You can pull the people that you want to tighter to you and try and make a structure that makes sense for you to make sense of that time period, but with no particular end in sight. A family relative said to me, well, if this is how it is for four or five or six or seven or eight years, this is how it is. This could be the decade ahead. And you'll come out of it and you'll be 55 and you'll think to yourself, well, didn't that give me or grant me some greater character? Now, that seemed like an alarming prospect, but I mean, didn't the Great Depression last most of the that decade? Is that really what we're looking at? Is this the counterbalance to decades of more or less having things go our way now okay that may not be true if you're listening to this in Rwanda or the Balkans perhaps um, and if you are great DM me let me know what's going on there but um, for the most part at least in western culture I think we've had a very good run at the last 20-30 years realistically once the Berlin Wall fell at the end of the 80s um Okay, some people would say that it creates an imbalance in the world, a power imbalance, but we saw all the countries behind the Iron Curtain move towards greater freedoms. There was a sense in the 90s, and in Ireland as well, especially in Ireland, of growth, of calm, and we moved into, well, realistically, I think, until the crash of 2008. So we had 20 years, but maybe this is this period we're in now is is finally what's being birthed by the recession, by the kind of financial collapse of 2008. Since that moment, it's been gestating for 10 years, 12 years, and waiting to arrive. And here it is, and compounded by 10 years of social media derangement. But what it is, is the potentiality for a decade of turmoil, of unrest, of purposelessness and that's one of the great things I always said about how the working class or people working are going to go from being used to useless and this is how we manage to cope with this this is a very great test so what am I rambling about what am I rambling about I'm talking about mental health and what we try and do to grant purpose to ourselves to actually be able to create a structure to get through this now I've always said that doing exercise is the most paramount thing. It may be hard when you feel the great weight of depression to get out there and strap on the running shoes and try and go running. Um, at the moment, I have to do that this afternoon and the prospect is pretty grim, to be honest with you. It's lashing rain. 
it will no doubt remind me that we're severely lacking in a bit of vitamin D over here in Ireland. But you have to do it. You have to try and force yourself to have some kind of structure. There's never been a moment where I felt worse after trying to get out and exercise. There's never been a moment where I thought, well, I really regret doing that. Well, I mean, the odd one, maybe after playing with a ferocious hangover and then felt like hanging myself in the gym afterwards. But for the most part, exercise will never make you feel worse. Well, unless it gives you a fucking heart attack or something. But, you know, hmm. them's the breaks. So that is the main thing. That's the main tenet of all of this, is that exercise and getting out and moving, that moving some endorphins and that kind of thing, that's the most, most important thing. Link that to diet and consumption of alcohol and drugs, and you kind of have some element of the answer that if you're using this time period to just heavy booze and take lots of drugs and kind of instantly quietly party all the time you know and just well I deserve it because the world is so fucked up that we're going to start drinking at 2 p.m. on a Tuesday or whatever um, you know alcohol is a is a natural depressant and it's going to make you depressed eventually it may take a day or two but it's going to catch up with you and I think what's happening now is that after five or six months of lockdown is that the initial month or two buzz that people had buzz is a curious word in Irish it means getting drunk but buzz I suppose for the rest of the world means that there was an unexpected hum of anticipation around the circumstance and the situation and how are we going to react and there was defined rules and parameters and we reacted to them and we felt like we were doing our bit but we don't feel like we've been rewarded at least I don't think so by the state with any information about well this will end at this time or what the objective goal is is the objective goal not point not not cases of anything because that's not really how these things work at least in my opinion mathematically I fail to see how that's possible if you're still going to allow flights into your borders and people to arrive from here and there it's never going to be like that so what's the objective what's the goal because if we were to stop all industry based on how many people die in a particular industry, then we wouldn't allow anyone to drive cars or whatever else. Again, I diverge from the path. I diverge from the path. But for those of you who don't really know what depression feels like, it's a, like a crushing weight of purposelessness. I usually would get it twice a year maybe, for a week or two, maybe a little bit longer each time. And in that time period, um, you would not be able to stop your mind from racing. Constant, constant racing of the mind, unable to really focus on one particular thought and reach its conclusion. Um, there would be a very great feeling that you might as well, or you could stay in bed all day. You could lie on the couch and stare out the window at the grey clouds um, and that's not a metaphor, that's more commentary on Irish weather. You could do that. And what would the world, how would the world really change if you didn't do that? Um, and I do know people who, during this lockdown, have been constantly, the constant mantra is, I'm trying to better myself, and I just can't think about those things. I just can't think about how dark the world is. Um, and that's a very big problem for me, and I'm sure for a lot of people is teaching yourself to not think about things 
Now, maybe this is a Buddhist thing, maybe this is a meditative process, but I find that almost impossible. Because you want me to think about positive things? Give me something positive to think about. Sure. Now, that sounds a little bit trite and a little bit spoiled, perhaps. Well, but that's how the gloomy mindset works. That's how the depressive thinks. That's how those who err on the negative think. And it's not my fault, I suppose, in a sense. Some part of it is no doubt genetic. But also, it is not my fault that perhaps you find the dark underbelly of the world much more fascinating. Um, I'm not a man for small talk and discussions about Ikea drapes or the stuff we gave to charity or you know these kind of things I, I'm more interested in like I will ruin a conversation about our volunteer work by discussing the charity's human rights records or wanting to know where the percentage of this and that goes and the backstory of who who created or concern and oh wasn't the CEO of that in a in a scandal or those are the things that interest me um, and so if you always err on the dark side you can find yourself very easily at two in the morning at a party discussing Jimmy Savile or Jeffrey Epstein or um, all of those you know dark elements of society and that's naturally what you're drawn to because that's what well at least I find interesting so having a drink standing in the corner talking about the murder methods of the Khmer Rouge or the killing fields that interests me I don't really have an interest in discussing um, what we bought in Ikea the day previous and that is just a kind of a mindset a way of looking at the world or the things that fascinate or interest you um, you know I've, my idea of hell is going to the beach um, even though I've just been complaining about not getting any vitamin D. But a beach holiday is my idea of hell. I don't need to see fat Germans eating ice creams or hear screaming kids or dogs barking or based in the sun crackling and cooking. Um, I'm not a lizard. I don't need that. Show me a gulag or a concentration camp or um, somewhere where something horrific or horrible or terrible happened and um, that will make me much happier in the long run I suppose it's what you would call death tourism something like this I suppose that's a cliched name for it isn't it but I've always been more interested in being in some strange satellite Eastern European town and looking at the ruined industry or the old textile factory that's now a collapsing ruin and making my way around that I've no interest in being at the beach and maybe this is a metaphor for looking at all of this and that people say to me you've got to school yourself you've got to try and make yourself not dwell on all of these negative things and I find it more or less impossible because a that's what I'm interested in but b there are too many hours in the day how do you fill the hours of your day with emptiness or empty thoughts or dwelling on positivity now this is something that I find very difficult because I've always channeled that into being creative the the hard sell of always having that um, dark mindset or negative mindset guy sound like such a goth huh um, was that you were able to write songs about it you were able to take out that frustration um, 
on stage you were able to have a purpose through traveling gigging touring um, and part of that purpose is uh, its rough edges are rounded by playing sport and exercise but i play sport um because it feels like a physical necessity to get rid of energy and aggression um it's not only for the joy but if i play a sport i have to win and that also says something um more complex about all of this to me i don't play football just for the joy of it in fact most likely if i see see, see somebody doing excessive skills that i think i've got i think they've got their own youtube real plane in their head i'm probably going to foul them and kick them over yep that's what we're dealing with that's the kind of awful human being that we're dealing with yeah but that's just a different way of tackling all these kind of things and and coming at the world which has always been to have focused determined concentrated energy and your joy at that was based out of achievement and purpose and victory and winning as i said before which is something nobody wants to talk about is your sense of winning um which is tied of course in your masculinity not to say that women don't have the same agency or purpose but some part of that aggression and testosterone is linked to that when there is nowhere for that to go where do we think that will go i mean it's got to spill out onto the streets eventually if this is happening next summer if this is happening in november after a certain election in a certain country i think there's going to be some trouble and some part of that will be the untapped energy of rage and anger and testosterone and frustration and that's why i think the institutions of the state and governments are very they're playing with something very dangerous by not addressing that all i hear about is percentages and numbers and statistics and i think to myself these are all very well until people go out and pull up parts of the pavement pavement and th- fling them through windows and set things on fire um out of frustration is because you aren't addressing a broader problem the the problem of people not speaking to anybody that they don't know for months and months and months the problem for people elderly people who feel trapped in their own homes the problem of agency of purpose of definition of all these existential problems i imagine they're too hard to talk about too complex and it's maybe not even in the remit of a politician to come out and say we understand you're having some mental health issues here's what we're going to try and do to alleviate that uh it's probably beyond the remit of those people maybe that's not what we voted them in for but sure as hell i don't hear many people talking about it i don't hear many people talking about it at all um even a simple thing a friend asked me did i have any spare instruments to donate to um something like a migrant shelter where the people are going well batshit crazy because they fuck all else to do and i thought now there is somewhere where the state or the government could get involved by somebody donating instruments or again the concept playing music trying to deal with all of this um through creativity is something that nobody is really at least i don't hear many people talking about it i hear lots of airy fairy airy fairy well wow. 1950s dad there um i wonder what that expression actually means what's the etymology of it i presume it's something victorian <laughs> Anyway, maybe that's something for me to look up on my own spare time. Um the point being that I hear lots of stuff about yoga 
and wellness and you know lots of recipes and all this kind of stuff that doesn't get rid of aggression and that doesn't get rid of intent it doesn't get rid of it's not hot and sweaty and aggressive and um, uh, you don't feel released of any of that kind of stuff I mean you know it's there's even been statements from the government in the UK that seems to be aiming at trying to control people's sex lives trying to say that in one bubble, bubble one and bubble two, let's say you're declared households and people you can hang around with, that you shouldn't meet people from, let's say, some random bubble three. So how does anybody meet anyone? Are we, are the institutions of the state trying to also control people's sex lives? I mean, it sounds like something from a, from a Woody Allen sketch, but here we are. And so how do we deal with those things? The, how do we deal with the fact that most of us haven't met or socialized or spoken to or been around people we don't know now for five or six months. What is the lasting damage of that? If the government just came out and said, hey, look, we're just trying to get schools sorted out. Have patience. October, we'll try and fix it. But as I said to people who thought the government would do that or the governments, I said to them, you know that um, the power of control is so addictive that I don't think these people are easily going to let loose the reins. If, you've, if you're part of, if you're some cranky middle-aged um, woman who's been elected and spent 20, 30 years in her constituency who now has the power in a quango, quango is a strange word, isn't it? I wonder where that comes from, who now has a little bit of power to tell the public what to do. Um, just as an example, because I'm using the example of... Um, the Minister for Arts and Tourism here, who just basically told creative people and musicians and whatever, just get a job, will you? Look, face reality, get a job. <laughs> okay. Uh, these people now have a little bit of power they didn't have before. They have the power to make you stay inside. They have the power to make you um, live within certain parameters. And you think they're just going to give that up and go, okay, look, lads, Herd immunity, waive your insurance, have at it, it's up to you to take risk, go out, try and live, um, or something to those effects. You can probably pull apart, pull apart that explanation, pull apart those words and make something better of them. But you get what I mean. You get what I mean, right? Um, those, they aren't going to do that. I never thought they would because having spent a long time observing how people relate to um, power, how people relate to the structures and institutions that define how we live, um, whether they are governmental, political, cultural, societal. I think, uh, I didn't think that they were just going to come up with a solution. And on those terms, I would imagine that expecting them to find an existential solution to mental health is uh, beyond their remit and understanding and capability anyway what am I talking about so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a column this is a little bit unconventional and I hope it doesn't sound too pretentious but I'm going to try and read a column I wrote I was reminded of this column by coming across the woman in the story only yesterday wandering up and down the street around the corner in her nighty 
uh, soaked to the skin shouting at random people who are wandering by but I'll read it and then we'll see where we go so this is from a few years ago let's have a go there are two crazies in my area well known to everyone every postcode has a few here and there knocking around no one is quite sure where they came from how they got to this place and where they lay their, where they lay their heads at night but over time they become urban legends how long is the process from the first signs of mental illness to standing in the street shouting at cars? That's something I'm not sure of. For the first time, the female of this pair, of this couple, is talking to me, or at me, to be precise. She's standing in front of me in a cafe, wild white hair framing what once would have been a quite beautiful face. I guess she is in her mid-50s, maybe her late 50s wearing a bright red bathrobe, pink slippers, and holding the tiniest glass of water I've ever seen. I half expect a nurse to come in, rushing after her to take her back to the daycare centre she's escaped from. But there's no one with her. There never is. I have Drug's gorgeous hypnotic monotony on the headphones, low to blot out the ubiquitous pop music that's piped into everywhere, but I can still hear her shouting at me. It gets harder every day. It gets harder every day. She gestures at my headphones. I can hear her over the music. Take your headphones out. I make eye contact and sit calmly and listen. Take my headphones off. For a moment, I'm more curious to read something in her eyes, to make some contact with whatever madness is driving her, with the person she is, was, or maybe, who knows. She shouts at me to take the headphones out. A part of me wants to do that and ask what's behind all this. But maybe someone should have asked her that many years ago. I take them out and listen. It's babbling, it's babbling. The polite but stern Polish woman behind the counter, with a scar across her face, comes out to have a word, and the woman storms out, her hair flailing and slippers scuffing. A week earlier, I had seen her get asked to leave nearly every shop or bar on the strip, on the street, one by one. It was 9pm. She was randomly locking arms with every other man she saw and talking to them like it was her husband. Where does she go? Where does she go at night? I go back to reading about German naval expansion in the 1890s, but keep wondering who is looking after this woman. I ain't joking. That's how boring my reading was. The male of the pair, you can usually find him standing you can usually find him standing stock still in the street, staring straight ahead, his face framed by a kind of sun or cricket hat pulled down just above his eyes, just too far down to be healthy, and wild grey hair to his shoulders. Obviously, again, a handsome man in his day. He doesn't meet anyone's gaze and might stand like that for several hours and then turn up like a statue somewhere else in the area. I've never seen him walking. How did he get there? One day I dropped some shopping, some cheap meat coming over the canal bridge and realized that I'd done so. I turned back. He was standing there, stone still, holding it for me, waiting for me to realize. I walked back, tried to make eye contact, took it from his hands and said thank you. He quietly nodded and got back to standing still, staring at the sky. I wanted to ask him something. You always want to ask these people something, but... You don't know what 
the words may be. You can't form them. Somehow, modern society has told us to stay out of these people's lives. I didn't know what the words were. They nearly spilled out of my mouth, but I caught them and turned tail and went off with my cheap meats. We've become conditioned by modern society to not ask how, why, where and when to people suffering from mental illness, as if they don't exist. I sit and wonder perhaps they were a couple once, a couple once upon a time, but fell foul of Ireland's dark past where we imprisoned and tortured tens of thousands in mental hospitals across the country. Threw away third and fourth borns who were not entitled to land or the cruelty of the church or the workhouse to new darkness. Maybe they had lost their firstborn in some tragic circumstance and had been driven mad with guilt, given electroconvulsive shock therapy to ease the pain. Or perhaps it was just genetic bad luck and they were always going to end up in this place. They were always going to end up in this place. Something triggered inside, something broken. Standing in the street looking for someone to listen or someone to ask. Everyone now seems to think they're mentally ill. Everyone is anxious. Everyone has something to peddle. Everyone wears their mental illness as a badge of individuality. Is this true? Or is it the greatest victory of the pharmaceutical companies in cahoots with local GPs and doctors getting kickbacks from the meds they prescribe us to make us medicate ourselves? They took advantage of the more spurious notions of pseudo-psychology. And as we began to develop the drugs in pill form in a post-World War II society, they saw their market blossom. We can now go online, checklist ourselves, rate our personality disorders, rate our children, medicate our children. Handy conversation pieces over dinner that we can use to justify our relationship to society. Kids are on antidepressants. We fill them with Ritalin. We Prozac ourselves or whatever the names of the new pills are, into a state of non-committal, non-committal calmness. The zombie apocalypse is already well and truly here. Glue a smartphone to your hand, and you may as well withdraw from this world, not only emotionally, but socially as well. But you know what? Some days are bad and some days are good. We have ups and downs. These are human emotions. Yeah, it sounds dumb. Sounds dumb of me to say. But if there is a... If there is a man out there, then one of his greatest victories is getting you to medicate them. The man. What does that mean? Maybe that's just you. And you're medicating it. I was watching a documentary about the Norwegian writer, Carl Ove Narsgaard. Apologies for the English there. Whose painfully descriptive, almost Joycean novels can be hypnotic torture to read. But he said he never wakes up feeling positive or happy. It struck a chord with me. I thought about it. I never do. I never wake up in good form. It takes me time to set into the day. I don't want to hear people or have human contact. Sometimes when I'm at a low ebb, I time my trips outside to coincide when there are hopefully no people around. Or simply hide away from the sun inside and only come out at night. It sounds strange to say, but it's true. I'd rather work in the dead of night when nobody is around. But now, trips to packed shops become unbearable. A choice 90-second conversation with some distant acquaintance I hardly know anymore is torture. 
I only see despair and futility in people's faces. I find myself staring into space as friends talk to me, unable to empathise or feel anything. Depression can last two, maybe four weeks, sometimes longer, and it comes every year no matter what. I've learned to make peace with it, try and use it to write music or harness some of that negative energy, but when it comes, it comes, and there's little you can do, there's little I can do. Some of us are wired up differently. A friend of mine studying string theory forgets to eat for a weekend, drinks 12 Red Bulls, and then wonders why he collapsed at the end of the stairs. He's a genius, but he can't make toast or talk to women. That's the way it goes. But he's the kind of cunt who will find a cure for cancer. Neither of us needs medication, in my opinion. It's just life. The point is that the gulf between those who do have real mental health problems and those of us who either use what we think are our problems as a crutch to beat life with or an excuse for their behavior are kind of polluting the waters and we are making the pharmaceutical companies rich in the process. Freud has a lot to answer for. These idiotic online checklists are his bastard offspring. Sometimes we get depressed. We just need to find a way of dealing with the darkness. Either that or it's just another Irish grey summer. So I wrote that a few years ago. I made a few mistakes here and there, reading it back and added a few little pointless extra bits. But I think you get the point. And I do wonder if that was maybe the most pretentious thing I've done on the podcast, but why not? It's my podcast, right? I can talk about what I want to. It's my party and I can cry if I want to. Um, but that maybe sort of gets the point across that I do see that... 10 years of social media derangement, which I've talked about in other podcasts, have exacerbated the situation that everybody thinks that they are ill or mentally ill in some way. And not everyone is. And that many people hang their hat of identity on these mental illnesses. It won't be the first time you'll see um, some white male comedian discussing his mental health um, but that's because he has no horse in the race when it comes to victimhood. And so people latch onto what they perceive as something that can make them more interesting, make them more vulnerable, make them weaker, make them more um, interesting. And sometimes people hang their hat on these things. If you've ever met somebody in one of the third or fourth sentences they, that they say is, something to do with their mental health or depression or illness or anxiety or well sure that's how I deal with the world as an anxious person or blah 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 then you're probably in my opinion dealing with some people that view the world subconsciously through this prism of narcissistic social media derangement maybe because emotions like that are natural the idea that we can somehow medicate all of these emotions away and live some Instagram story of a life is unrealistic. And it's something that's been promulgated or propagated. Those are two different words, right? Something that's been propagated by social media that we're always shown these pictures of somebody else living a better life designed to make us feel insecure and inferior on those terms. And that's not how life is. But that's how an Instagram story makes things appear how it must be to be a young person, a teenager, at this time when your hormones are developing and all you're getting is um, these mixed messages. These messages that 
uh, your your life, your better life, is something that you never live. But this is exactly one of the parameters of life, and that is that things don't always go your way. Like I said, this are the narcissistic, selfish urge of modern living has inculcated an entire generation of people with the belief that every everything must be always challenging. Everything must be always part of their best life. They almost everything must be that 90 second or that minute long Instagram story of unbridled joy and happiness. Now that may seem contradictory to you when I've talked about how my own attitudes to life are in that simple joy can be a little bit hard to find but I think that's more something genetic that's something more to do with my age, a little bit different but it is true that the trials and tribulations of um, young people not coming to terms with the fact that there is a lot of drudgery and banality and boredom and gloom to life um, and that your opinion doesn't always matter and you don't need to tell everybody at, at all times that's that's quite a comp complex circle to square or square to circle or whatever you want to call it anyway what am I talking about I'm talking about mental health and what we're what we can do to try and alleviate it what we can do to try and help it um, and it's a struggle. It's a struggle for everyone because at the moment, um, as I said, agency, purpose, purposelessness, trying to find a port in the storm, of, of albeit a very dull storm. I really thought the end of the world would be a bit more exciting than this. thought I'd get a bit more bang for my book out of the end times. But, well, maybe that was, maybe I was played by the algorithm as well then. And this really is how it is for the foreseeable future. And um, like I said, it's like living in communist state in 1988, you know? Uh, Victor and uh, Boris, they go to a factory, uh, work uh, making maxing tractor engines all week, and they have beer at weekends. They laugh, they sing, this is life, you know? Huh? Something like this, etc. Um, and that's maybe how it is for now. But... The problem is, is that, of course, in that in that Frankenstein of a satellite state in 1988, you weren't constantly channeled in to your subconscious or your to your frontal lobe images and stories of how great, broad, vast and exciting the world is. You lived in your satellite state and maybe that's all you knew, really. You know, in medieval times, most people lived and died in the same 10 or 20 mile radius. And that was... A big journey was going to the next city. And when you hear stories of Victorian explorers traveling the globe, if you listen to my Crowley podcast, his adventures and his travels were insane for somebody of that time. Go back a couple of hundred years, most people just lived in the confines of their normal city town. Is that going to be the foreseeable future? Is that the plan to have us working from home and living in our confines, then we're going to have to find some way of dealing with this mental state. That is the problem and that is the struggle. And it's not some, it's not one I'm always winning. Or I don't think by judging by the messages people are sending me that other people are winning with ease either. 
as I said, a sense of agency, purpose, purposelessness. These are the things that we try and do. Anyway, that is a rambling podcast just about mental health. Whether it does you any good or not, I don't know. I really can't. I really don't know. But I thought it was something maybe worth saying. So if you do want to follow me on Instagram to view my pithy comments, um, my silly stories about uh, my previous life before the fat Elvis end of my career, where I lived a better life. Um, you know, that show off 60 second Instagram story of how brilliant everything is. Uh, then you can follow me on Nemtianga underscore primordial. Um, and together we can um, have exciting journeys. Patreon is patreon.com slash Alan Aver with two A's. Um, well, that is until I'm cast out from the town square and have to return with the pitchfork to burn it all down. So, on those terms, try and clear the fog if you can. That's all I can say. And that is Agitators Anonymous. Dealing with the gloom. It's just another Dublin summer, eh? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.